Hey, we're, we're going to be in 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 4, and uh, we're going uh, to be studying through this here. We've been in the book of 1 John for a while. The plan right now, as soon as we finish up 1 John, is to get into the book of Genesis and uh, get into a, a, uh, a pretty long series with Genesis. I think it's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be awesome, so hope that you'll join us for that and be a part of Genesis as well. Uh, so chapter 4 of 1 John, let me read uh, the first six verses here, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Let me back up. Let me go to verse 20, 24 of chapter 3. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John just said, he just talked about the spirit. We, we're, the, the spirit is the one that enables us to abide in him. Then, so then from there he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John says, you know, the power of the spirit is going to be with you. He's going to enable you to hear from God, to abide in him. And then the next thing that he says at the beginning of chapter 4 here is, is he says, but I want you to be really careful. I want you to be really careful who you're listening to, who you're talking to, who, who you're allowing to speak into your life. I want you to be really careful because, look at what he says. He says, there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. So what he's saying is he's saying that there are uh, many false prophets, and then there's other people who speak the truth. So there's people who are speaking lies. They are with the Antichrist. They are of the Antichrist. And there are people who are speaking truth. They are of the Spirit. Really what he's saying is he's saying behind every person who makes some type of teaching, every person that speaks prophetically as though they're speaking for God, every person that makes an, an assertion about who God is, they're, they're speaking from one spirit or another. Either they are speaking from the spirit of the Antichrist, that is of the evil one, that is of Satan, or they are speaking from the spirit of truth. Remember what we've said over the course of this series, if, if you haven't been here, I'll remind you right now, and that is that John speaks in very black and white terms. It is either the spirit of truth or it's the spirit of error. It's the spirit of truth if, if these things are there or it's the spirit of error. If these things are not affirmed. 
So what are, we, what are we talking about here? Well, in our culture today, we oftentimes hear about a celebrity. Say, I heard that such and such a celebrity is a Christian. And so then, you know, Christians kind of gather around that. Or there's those uh, God tube clips that are on um, the Internet, sometimes on, on Facebook or what, what have you. And there's somebody who's professing to be a Christian on some level. Oftentimes, it's not even specifically about Christianity. It is about them being moral. Or it could be about them praying. It could be about them just being a nice person, something like that. Uh, we, yeah, I remember when I was uh, a lot younger, Britney Spears was considered to be a believer. I have no idea whether that was true, whether she was raised in a Christian home or what have you. But I, I, I don't know what we can say about that. I don't know that we can, that we can say whether she is or she isn't. I, and that doesn't even matter. There's multiple celebrities that we, that we talk about that we say are, are Christians at times. There's people who say that they're spiritual, like Oprah. She kind of gets a bad rap in Christianity. She's always brought up. In every sermon, she's brought up at least once, probably, you know. But the truth is, is that she's not a Christian. She, she's, she's not a believer in Jesus Christ. She's not. And yet, sometimes Christians are so wholeheartedly connected to her teaching that they just receive it. She is a teacher, by the way. She is teaching. She's teaching all the time. She's teaching about religion. She brings up religious figures in whatever show she has now, or a cable channel or something like that. You have uh, TV preachers who teach on a regular basis, and yet many of us know who have an ounce of discernment that many of those TV preachers are milking their congregation for money so that they can buy a new jet or whatever it is so that they can go share the gospel. But yet when you look at their homes and you, the, the mansions and the, the ways that they live, it, it seems pretty clear this isn't really about Jesus, is it? And then you got the politicians. You got the politicians that claim to be believers. And yet, what we all know is this, is that in order to get any semblance, any part of the evangelical vote, or people who claim any kind of religion, like, you've got to claim to have religion. You've got to claim to be a Christian on some level. And so there's been many, many, many politicians. I should have looked this up. I think, I believe, it's every president since, I don't know when, has claimed to believe in God. And yet we clearly know many times that these people are not asserting the truth about Scripture. So we as Christians oftentimes are walking around and we lack any kind of discernment whatsoever. We just receive whatever is given to us. Oh, they're a Christian. Oh, really? Okay, I'll listen to them. I'll vote for them. I'll do, I'll, I'll do, I'll do whatever they want me to do. Sounds good. Okay. That's great. We'll take a celebrity's word for it. We'll, we'll, we'll take, we'll, somebody claims to be a Christian because there's Christian in, in the name of the broadcasting network that they're on or something like that. Or there's, a, you know, anything like that. We'll say, well, they're, 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 they have a book open in front of them that looks kind of like a Bible, and so I should receive that. John says, and what God is telling us is this. He says, don't believe every spirit. Why? And it's because these people... In John's day, we're believing every spirit. They were hearing what everyone taught, and they were just like, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. And so he's 
He's telling them, don't believe every spirit. And then there's, there's the stuff that, that happens in, in Christianity. There's, there was a pastor a while ago who totally spun out his life. He ended up in an affair with a kid that had graduated, but it wasn't his wife. And he ended up in an affair with her and, and decided to leave his wife and kids. And so he's, he's uh, you know, telling his story, talking about how this has been really good for him and how it's, it's worked out well for him and talking about his new life with his, his new wife that he'd had an affair with. And there's multiple Christians who write in on his posts and they say, man, so glad you're happy. Man, so cool to hear about your story. And I, I think what we need to do is we need to go, why in the heck are believers affirming ungodly, sinful behavior? Now, let us all recognize something. All of us commit sin. If anyone claims to be without sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him, it says earlier in 1 John. So all of us can recognize the fact we have sin in our lives that Jesus forgives, and we must confess and repent. We must continually be confessors. That's what Christians are. But here's the, here's the, the issue, is that when we see egregious sin, what lacks discernment is for us as a church or for us as individuals to say, you know what, I'm just glad that you're happy now. You know what that says about us? It says that we don't understand the first thing about Jesus as king. We don't understand the first thing about Jesus being our God and king and submitting to him, to his rule, to submitting to him because he's loved me so much. Like, it is astounding to me that we would affirm these kinds of things. It's astounding to me that we would somehow uh, go and assert that we are in agreement with whatever politician we're backing at the time and saying somehow that they are a believer and, and piling onto this bandwagon and saying, I'm, I'm in on this, I'm, I'm all about that. He's a Christian or she's a Christian, that kind of thing. When John says, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit that comes to you. So how do we have discernment? Well, what he says here is he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Behind every person who's making an assertion is a spirit. The question we have to ask, is this the spirit of truth, or is this the spirit of error? Is this, is this truly coming from God? So then he says in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, what John is dealing with in this particular time is a, is a particular false teaching. And that false teaching is saying this, that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. We've said this over and over again, that there are some people who say, uh, who say um, that we should 
keep everything from our bodies. We should, we should basically beat ourselves up and, and not do anything pleasurable. And, but then there was another group of people that say, who cares? It doesn't matter. The body doesn't matter. I'll just do whatever. John is dealing with a specific heresy, a specific false teaching right here. And he's saying, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. These people say that he has not come in the flesh, that he was not really in the flesh. They're basically asserting he did not come in the flesh. So therefore, his crucifixion or his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his crucifixion, none of that is meaningful. It has no power in our lives. There's, there's nothing about it that, that really should make any difference to us. And so he's telling them, he's saying, by this you're going to know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit. Every, every spirit. Because remember what I said. Every teacher has a spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit behind it, or it has a spirit of error, which is of the Antichrist. Okay? So what he's saying is he's saying that Jesus, that these people do not assert that Jesus has come in the flesh, and so they do not confess Jesus. So here's the test that we have to put against these false teachers. Who do you say that Jesus is? This is the question that we have to ask. Now, I've heard a lot of great canned speeches from so-called politicians. Someone has given them a script to read. And they have read the script, and they, they have said these words that say, you know, I believe that Jesus came, that he died, there's buried, there's resurrected, and he rose on the third day, something like that. I don't believe that they, I don't believe they always mean it, okay? So there's people who could be lying about this. But then there's also people who, uh, who they, they claim to have some type of relationship with God. They claim to have some type of connection with God when really all they think about is just the fact that I believe that there is a God and yet they don't know what they believe about Jesus. Now, why is Jesus so important? Why is Jesus so important? Well, it's because in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Think about how exclusive that is. Think about how offensive that is in our world. All roads do not lead to God. There was one road, and it is Jesus. Jesus is the gate. He's the door. He's whatever else. He is the only one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Think about how exclusive that is. There is no other religion. There is no other guru. There is no other teacher. There is no other anything. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. It is Jesus or nothing. You have relationship with God through Jesus or you have relationship with the evil one through the world through its false teachers. Those are the two choices. Do you realize how offensive that is? It's massively offensive. I mean, if this sermon hit, you know, the radio waves perhaps or whatever, the internet, which it's going to and somebody got a hold of it, I mean, people would probably be very upset. They would be very upset because we're saying that there's no other way to God. So what does this mean? This means 
that in our community, we have friends that are a part of other religions that are not in relationship with God. We have friends who are Jehovah's Witness, whom we love. I have very good Jehovah's Witness friends. And I want to tell you that they don't know Jesus. They don't know the true Jesus. I have incredible Mormon friends. I went to their son's baptism in a Mormon church, which was interesting. But went to that. I'm very good friends with them, and they do not know God because they do not see Jesus as God. I have other friends that believe other things. The question is this, what do you believe about Jesus? What does this person believe about Jesus? Keeping in mind that someone can make all kinds of assertions about what they believe and yet still not believe those, be trying to milk the congregation for, for money, be trying to do all kinds of things. What do they believe about Jesus? Over and over again, if you look at all of these various world religions, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Jesus is not God. This comes from uh, Christianity, Cults, and Religions. It's a, a book. Um, uh, Jehovah's Witness, Jesus is not God. Before he lived on earth, he was Michael the Arch, Ar Archangel. Jehovah made the universe through him. On earth, he was a man who lived a perfect life. After dying on a stake, not a cross, he was resurrected as a spirit. His body was destroyed. Jesus is not coming again. He returned invisibly in 1914 as a spirit. I don't know if you knew that or not. Very soon, he and his angels will destroy all non-Jehovah's Witness. Hmm. Mormonism. Who is Jesus? Jesus is a separate God from the Father, Elohim. He was created as a spirit, a spirit child by the Father and Mother in heaven, and is the elder brother of all men and spirit beings, including Lucifer. His body was created through sexual union between Elohim and Mary, not through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a non-sexual way, as the scripture teaches, but through a sexual means. Jesus was married, which is not in the scriptures. His death on a cross does not provide full atonement for sins, but does provide everyone with resurrection, which still is not helpful. Seventh-day Adventists, nice people. I've got a lot of buddies that have churches in Seventh-day Adventist buildings because they're not meeting on Sundays. It's perfect. Uh, Ellen White, the founder, says that God, uh, God the Father exalted Jesus to be his son, thus provoking Lucifer's jealousy and war in heaven. Jesus is our example in Seventh-day Adventism uh, to prove we can live sinlessly. So Jesus as moral example, which, by the way, is death for you and me because we cannot be perfect until we see Jesus. But we are, we are commanded to walk in the power of the Spirit and to see ourselves progressively become, uh, progressively sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross did not complete the atonement. 
since 1844, he has, Jesus has been applying his blood in heaven in an ongoing investigative judgment, quote unquote, after which he will return. He's also identified as Michael the Archangel. Most Adventist founders deny Jesus' deity. What do you believe about Jesus? Why do all these, these other religions want to take out Jesus at the knees? Ah, oh, he's a good guy. He's a good teacher. He's not God. He, he can't get you to He didn't accomplish atonement. Why are they all telling the same lie? It seems like there's a great conspiracy going on here against this guy, Jesus. What in the world is going on? Is it perhaps because there is an evil one, and the evil one is trying to dissuade you and I from believing the truth about Jesus. Maybe you have Mormon friends. Maybe you have Jehovah's Witness friends. Maybe you have Seventh-day Adventist friends. The truth must be seen in who Jesus is. That's the question. Who is Jesus? Is he God in the flesh? Is he God in the flesh? Not a separate God, but God-God. Islam actually Christian science. Jesus was not the Christ, but a man who displayed the Christ idea. Jesus was not God, and God can never become man or flesh. It goes on. Islam, who is Jesus? Jesus was not God or the Son of God. His virgin birth is likened to Adam's creation. He was sinless, a worker of miracles. Think about how close this is. Yeah, he was sinless. He, he was a worker of miracles, and one of the most, he's, I, we got a ton of respect for him. Um, he's one of the most respected prophets by Allah. He was not crucified or resurrected, though. Holy cow! How could we jack up this story anymore? I mean, just look at the scriptures. Look at the reliability of the scriptures. Look at the manuscript evidence that comes just a few short years after the death of Jesus. Look at the manuscript evidence where the Apostle Paul says, hey, we've all seen him. We've, we've all, there's witnesses, you can go talk to them. Why would all of these other religions try to take Jesus out at the knees, be, out of his deity, the, effect, the effectiveness of his death, burial, and resurrection, the idea that he paid for sins, the atonement, meaning that he atoned for sins. Why would they do that? Because this thing that perhaps you claim to believe, that is Christianity, that is you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. This thing, this Bible that you claim to believe says this, it is only through Jesus Christ that you can come to God. It is exclusive he is the only one. He is the only way. You cannot get to God except through Jesus Christ. And what you believe about Jesus matters 100%. Start with Jesus. So what does this do to us? Well, first of all, it tells us something about who are we listening to. Is Jesus the centerpiece of what they're teaching. Is Jesus the centerpiece of what they're communicating? What is the way of salvation? Many 
uh, many teachers, preachers, especially on TV, are on TV for a reason. And it's because they get ratings. And what are those ratings motivated by? Those ratings are motivated by an appeal to large masses. And who are the masses? The masses are oftentimes, not all the time, oftentimes the world. What does the world want? Money, sex, and power? I, I just want to be happy. I just want happiness. I just want a good life right here and right now. And so what are they selling? Are they selling Jesus? Well, it's in, in some place on their website or someplace during their broadcast, what they're saying is they're saying, we like Jesus, he's a good guy, but really the centerpiece of their sermon, the centerpiece of what they're teaching is not Jesus. It is morality. If you would just be more moral, or here's some tips, here's several tips on how to be a better person. Here's some, here's some ways for you to become a better person. Or give money and then God's going to bless you. The centerpiece of that sermon does not communicate that Jesus is king. It's not communicating the central message that Jesus has come in the flesh and that everything is dependent upon him. Now that is why it is incredibly important that we as a church are communicating the gospel every single week. Many of us who, who have grown up in the church, we think, ah, uh, he's going to start talking about the gospel so that people who are not Christians can become Christians. The truth about Christianity is this, though. The gospel is not the beginning of your Christian life. It is all of your Christian life. The gospel is what has saved you past it is what is saving you, and it is what will save you. Salvation is past, it is present, and it is future. It doesn't mean that I'm losing, oh, well, I got my salvation, then I might lose it in the present or the future. No, that I, I, I've got my salvation, but the way that Jesus intends for my salvation to, uh, to grow and, to, and for me to become sanctified is to continually look into the gospel to continually look at the story of Jesus Christ and his life and see everything that he, that he is and go, oh my goodness, this guy loves people. He gives up everything for them. He lays his life down for people, and so therefore I should lay my life down for people. That's the gospel. It's working its way in and through our lives over and over again. Now, the people that we're hearing from, the people that are teaching us, are they teaching us Jesus? The guy who left his wife and kids to go be with this gal, who's his savior? Is Jesus the centerpiece of his life? Jesus is not the centerpiece, the focal point of his life. Who is the centerpiece of his life? He is the centerpiece of his life. And more specifically, his feelings, his happiness is the centerpiece of his life. 
It's not who is Jesus, it's who is me. Who am I? What are my needs? This is my God. Guess what? He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't have relationship with Jesus. There's nothing there. So the question is this, who is Jesus? What do we believe about Jesus? When we're looking out into culture, we say somebody claims to be a Christian. That can mean any number of things. The question is, what do they believe about Jesus? What do they believe about who he is? What do they believe about what he has done? Or done. Not dumb. That was wrong. Verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Now why does he say this? It is so offensive, what I'm communicating today, that many of you would lose your jobs, perhaps, if you came out and said, everyone else, all other religions are false and are of the Antichrist, of Satan. There is only one true religion. It is the religion of Jesus Christ. It is relationship with Jesus that matters. That is the only way to God. Now, what happens? We as Christians become fearful. What do we fear? We fear losing relationship with our friends, our neighbors. We fear losing relationship with people that are around us, with the people that we spend time with, perhaps with a family member. We fear those things. And John says, to the degree that you believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, then, then what that means about you is that you are a child of God. Little children, you are from God. You are from God. And the thing that you must believe, that you must know, that you must see, that you must experience in your life is that you... You are from God and have overcome them. You've overcome them. Now, why is that an important point? Well, it's because of this. These uh, yehus that come up with new theology all the time. By the way, new theology is not good theology. Uh, it's, it's, It's a bad idea. It happens all the time in culture. And so what, the, what they say is this. They say, you know, there's so many people who have a problem with this doctrine of Jesus only. And so what I want to say is that it's not just Jesus only. I want to say that you, you, you could have some kind of relationship with God, and Jesus kind of shows you how to do that. But it doesn't necessarily have to be through Jesus. You could have relationship with God through anything. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because they're fearful of what our culture, of what our world will say. They're fearful of the fact that we are a part of an exclusive 
relationship with God that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so they'll make up silly doctrines that are not real doctrines, that are not rooted in Scripture. They'll make things up in their head. Look at what 2 Timothy chapter 4 Verse 1 through 4 says, you don't need to turn there. They'll show it up on the screen. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. He's, uh, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. He's the judge. He's the one who's in charge. And by his appearing and his kingdom. And he says this. He says to Timothy, a young pastor, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. You know what's easy to do if you're a good communicator? Is it's easy to talk about things that just come off the top of your mind. When I first started being a pastor, I had no idea what I was going to say. I went through so much scripture in every single sermon because just, I'm just not that good at making things up. I wish I was sometimes. You might like me more. I don't know. But praise God, on some level, that's not me. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. This is a little bit of a side note. If you ever leave Outward Church, and I have no idea why you would. I mean, uh, if you were to ever leave Outward Church, here's what I want you to look for. Are they preaching the word of God as it stands? When you go to a sermon, when you hear a sermon, are you made uncomfortable by the teaching there? Not in a weird way, in you know, any, anything like that, but you're made uncomfortable because you're convicted. You hear something in the sermon that says, ouch, that kind of a deal. If you're in and a part of a church, and it's never convicting you, you only feel good as you leave. My question is this, is the word of God being preached there? Because the word of God, when I read it, does not always feel good. Because when I read about the life of Jesus Christ, I see a deficit. I see Jesus, and I see me right here. And I see I am not equal with Jesus. Jesus is greater than Matt. And so I want to attain to who Jesus is. So when the word is speaking to me, the word is telling me, hey, Matt, you got some stuff that needs to be cleaned up. So what that means is that when the word is not being preached, you're going to walk out feeling like, hey, everything's fine. Or you're going to get some kind of crazy doctrine or, or something like that. But Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I want you to be ready all the time to communicate the truth. Be ready. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. I, there should be a washing effect. There, there are times when you must rebuke people. Yes, you should uh, encourage, you should exhort, you should lift them up. But there are also times that there must be rebuke. There must be reproof. There must be this happening with the word of God. It's washing God's people. He says, with complete patience and teaching. 
And look at this. This is really what I wanted to get to. Verse 3 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 says this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The, the time is coming. It has come. This is what happens. People are turning away from the truth. It's, it has always happened, really. It's always, it's always taken place. And people are going to continue to do that and continue to do that and continue to do that. And, our, uh, and there's going to be churches who claim to have the truth because they've softened their stance on biblical marriage. They call themselves open and affirming as though they're the only ones that love people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. And they make assertions like this. And they say, we're open and affirming of this particular sin. So we affirm this sin. We affirm this lifestyle. Well, guess what they're also lax on? They're lax on sexual purity within marriages. Guess what else they're lax on? You know what? Jesus is not quite as important. He didn't have to die in order to pay for sins. Jesus shows us a better way. That is not Christianity. That's outside of the bounds. But you get a church like that that is open and affirming. They throw, they throw stones at those of us who are more conservative, at those of us who actually believe the Bible. They're, they're continually like this. And then our culture has the audacity to say to us, hey, why don't you get with the program? All of these other churches, all of these other religions are with the program. They're going along with what we say. Why don't you start being open and affirming as well? Well, here's a couple things. Number one is that churches that are open and affirming are not gaining in popularity. People are not going to those churches. Those churches are all dying. Do you know the churches that are, that are thriving? It's young church plants that have conservative values in America today that are growing. We don't have conservative values because it's a growth, you know, uh, uh, stimulant to our church. We have conservative values because those are the values of Jesus. And Jesus is king. There's no other way to God but through Jesus. And so we obey him. I'm in obedience to Jesus. We do not get with the program because other people are dropping like flies and getting with the world's program because we believe this verse. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. Do you know what we need to say to our culture, to these other churches, so-called churches? Do you know what we need to say? You will never change our minds. You will never change our doctrine. You will never dissuade me because we are of God. We have overcome you in this. Your doctrine is wrong. You don't serve Jesus. You, he, this, is like in, this is like in the locker room before the football game. You've already won. It's yours. Go out and take it. It's yours. 
for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Don't you see what's happening? Our world. Do you know, do you know who's in the world? Do you know who's a part of that? That's the spirit of the Antichrist. I do not fear that spirit. I cannot fear that spirit. Someone asks you directly, what do you believe about this? Well, guess what? I believe the Bible in its fullness, that Jesus is the only way to God. How dare you make that statement? Yep, that's who Jesus is. That's what he says. That's what he's teaching. They're from the world. They speak from the world. We're not changing our doctrine for them. The world listens to them. You want us to get with history? No thanks. I'll get with Jesus. You want us to get with the program? No thanks. I'm with Jesus. That's who I am. Let me make a note here. There's so many people in this room that deal with same-sex attraction. Statistically, it happens. We love you and care about you, and your sin is no different than my sin. Your sin is no different than anybody else's sin in this room. Your desire is not sin. It's the acting upon it that is sin for all of us. That is a social issue that comes up all the time. We don't desire to bring it up. Our culture brings it up all the time. We should bring up gossip more because gossip's a real issue. We should bring up all kinds of things that evangelicals struggle with. And uh, you are not alone in, in that. Last thing, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And what, what does that mean? John is writing scripture. And he's saying, the people who adhere to the scriptures, the people who adhere to this teaching, the people who are a part of this, who listen to us, are the people who are walking rightly and they have the spirit of truth. The scriptures are the guiding point that show us this through the power of the spirit. If we're not adhering to the scriptures by the power of the spirit, we are not in truth, but we are in error. So here's what I want to leave you with. Where are you at? with this thing? Who are you listening to? Who do you allow to speak into your life? Who are you allowing to communicate to you? Are you offended by something here? Are you somebody who's, who's not really sure where you stand? I hope we've drawn, drawn a line in the sand today to say it's gotta happen through Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God. It is through his death, his burial, his resurrection that you are able to have a new life in God. That is available to anyone and everyone in this room. It is not contingent on whether you're good enough. It is not contingent on your good works or anything of that sort. It is contingent on Jesus and Jesus alone to have relationship with God. I hope that's been made clear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I want to ask that you would empower us this morning.
to be able to seek truth. Lord, we are, uh, we are people who oftentimes are just dissuaded through the things that are going on in our world. Lord, we're, we easily believe other people sometimes, or we lack discernment. God, would you bring about great discernment in our lives, that, Lord, that we'd be seekers of truth, that we'd ultimately know and understand that truth only comes from you in your word by the power of your spirit. So, Lord God, we, we're asking that you would work in our lives in this way, Lord, that you'd awaken our heart, soul, mind, and our strength to be able to seek after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.